We're back. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We're here to give you episode seven in season three of The Mandalorian here today. A lot of real cool shit happens. I'm excited to go through it. As you guys know, last week, Chase guided us through episode six with all the fun stuff from Jack Black and Lizzo and the Doctor from Back to the Future. So uh, it's, it's my turn to guide us through this one here and really excited to do so. But before we get started, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words. Yeah, man, we're in the peak of season three now. So we're right at the peak, man, and uh, it's... It's been an awesome arc, uh, you know, to really get this season three of Factor Fantasy started for us with season three of The Mandalorian. So I'll let you take it away, brother. Let's get it going. That sounds like a plan. Let's put our glasses in the air. Cheers to uh, episode seven here of season three of The Mandalorian, and I'll drive us home uh, from here. Cheers. All right. To kick this off, we are back on Coruscant, and this episode opens with Elia Kane. She's walking through some sketchy back alleys, and she comes across this droid bot that's hovering in air, and it has this red circular center beam. It approaches her, and the droid scans her, and she presents the code TK2755. Then the droid powers up, and it's a hologram communication with none other than Moff Gideon, the first time we see him in this season of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. He tells her to report quickly because he's short on time. So she tells him that the pirates had trouble at Navarro. He's annoyed because she previously reported that the New Republic would not be sending help. And she tells him that it wasn't the New Republic, but the Mandalorians that aided Navarro and Grief Karga. So Moff Gideon asks which Mandalorians specifically, and Elia Kane tells him that it was Bo-Katan, Din Djarin, and Din Djarin's covert. They were the ones responsible. And he is concerned because that shouldn't be happening since both factions are sworn enemies of each other, like the Night Owls and the Children of the Watch. So then Moff Gideon tells Elia Kane that he personally will deal with the Mandalorians. So he cuts off the hologram communication and he walks through his stronghold to a hologram meeting of other Imperial officers. They call it the Shadow Council. And they're discussing their undercover tactics to remain in the shadows but continue to gain strength. Now this is something that was really, really cool. I really enjoyed this part specifically, is when Grand Admiral Thrawn is brought up. Anyone who is well-versed in Star Wars lore knows the badass that is Grand Admiral Thrawn, and we're getting uh, some cool little you know, allusions to him coming up. So Imperial Officer Captain Pelion said, Grand Admiral Thrawn's return will herald in the reemergence of our military and provide Commandant Hux enough time to deliver on Project Necromancer. Moff Gideon is a little bit skeptical about uh, Captain Pelion's relationship with Grand Admiral Thrawn and asks when they can expect Thrawn to participate in the Shadow Council because, you know, this guy has been talking about him, but they've never seen him. So he's wondering if, you know, does this guy even exist? Are you as close with him as you pretend that you are? Or are you not pretending at all and you are and he's just, you know, busy? Like, or what? So anyways, it just seems that Moff Gideon is a bit skeptical. So the captain tells him the success of this project relies on Thrawn's secrecy. But Moff Gideon thinks it might be time to look to new leadership, which some of the other Imperial officers agree with. So Commandant Hux asks Moff Gideon about Dr. Pershing and how that research he promised them is coming along. And Moff Gideon tells him that Dr. Pershing was captured by the New Republic and that the research is lost for now. And I, I honestly think what he's doing is he's planning stuff on the side that he's not including the Shadow Council in. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that'll come up later on. 
In any event, we learn that Moff Gideon requested three Praetorian Guards, TIE fighter reinforcements, and bombers. And Commandant Hux thinks it's because Gideon is concerned with an assassination attempt, but that's not necessarily the case. Now, Captain Pelion asks what Gideon's security concerns are, and Gideon replies that his concern is Mandalorian. And Moff Gideon shares that he is confident that the Mandalorians are preparing to retake the homeworld of Mandalore, and Gideon tells him that they need to stamp out the Mandalorians now before they become a bigger issue. And that's when Commandant Hux tells Gideon that he will give him the requested resources. In just a little bit of a, a quick dialogue from Moff Gideon, cool little quote, he says, We shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire. And that's when the title sequence hits. From there, the scene cuts over to Navarro, and they're cleaning up the main city after the big battle with the pirates. Uh, a large ship arrives on the planet, and this the I would call it the assistant droid to Grief Karga uh, believes it's an Imperial shuttle. Grief Karga calms the droid down and tells him that the ship is actually a light cruiser, and it's not Imperial. But the droid says that his data has the ship registered as Imperial, but Grief Karga replies that, that it was Imperial at one point in time, but to look at the bottom of the ship and the markings, and that you could see it had the Mythosaur marking on the bottom of the ship, meaning that it is part of the Mandalorian mercenary fleet. Now, the sheep fleet lands, and the ship fleet lands, and the two factions of the Mandalorian meet each other for the first time. Paz Vizsla tells one of the covert to take the children inside. There's a lot of tension built up. You can kind of see two sides of the same coin facing each other. They have like differences, and you can kind of see the uh, underlying animosity and feel that tension. And it doesn't help that immediately Ax Woves removes his helmet, and then all the other mercenary Mandalorians do the same. Probably not the best way to start with these guys, but you know it is what it is. In any event, the armorer breaks the tension by clanging her tools together and welcoming the mercenary Mandalorians. Or the Night Owls, whatever you want to call them. Uh, at this point, Grief Cargo welcomes Din Djarin back, gives him a gift of what looks like an expensive liquor, then surprises Mando with IG-11, but a little bit different, a little bit of tweaks. They call it IG-12 now, and it's essentially a, uh, like, someone that, that there's the Angelon inside of it that can control it almost, uh, I don't know how to explain it the best. But basically, someone sits inside of it and controls its movements and presses buttons to either say yes or no. So it, it's fully you know, operationally controlled by whoever's sitting in the, the pilot seat, so to speak. In, <laughs> in, in any event, uh, Grief Cargo tells Mando that IG-12 is safe and that the pilot provides cognition because they removed the memory circuit altogether. So they put Grogu into IG-12 and Ninjaran thinks Grogu's too young to operate it. Grogu argues and starts using the droid's functions and uh, Grogu tries IG-12 out using Grief Karga's office. He's walking around with it. He keeps pressing that yes button. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, eventually, they, uh, he ends up kind of getting his way. Grogu ends up getting his way, and he's using this whole robot IG-12 thing, and they're walking down the street after they leave uh, Grief Karga's office. We have this really cool... He almost reminded me somewhat of the old Disney movie Aladdin thing with the marketplace, and he's taking food and shit, and <laughs> Mandalorian has to keep, but uh, Dinjarin has to keep paying this guy some credits here for the stuff he keeps taking. He breaks that one fruit over the dude's head. It was, it was a whole mess. <laughs> Mando's like, this is not working for me, man. But, uh, you know, he spoke too soon because that comes up later on on how, you know, real helpful this suit will become. In any event, the scene moves back to the Mandalorian camp. Bo-Katan addresses them all, telling them that it's time to leave Navarro and retake their home planet. And Bo-Katan tells them that she needs volunteers from both tribes. 
Din Djarin, uh, there's a big long pause. No one wants to do it, and eventually Din Djarin is the only one that answers at first and says that he and Grogu will go. Then slowly after that, most of the important Mandalorians say that they will go as well, including Paz Vizsla, Axe Woes, um, Koska, and even the armor. So, good shit. You know, that, that, the whole plan here is they're going to hover above Mandalore and Bo-Katan sending the scouting party to Mandalore's surface. Now, the scouting ship enters the atmosphere, and the Mandalorians and the scouting party drop to the planet's surface, and Bo-Katan tells them that they need to find the forge and create a safety zone, then start bringing down the settlers. At this point, Din Djarin sees something on the horizon, and it's a ship. And what's kind of cool about this ship, it reminded me of a sailboat that is on the ground. <laughs> like, you know, that's kind of the way I, I put it. They even had the... You know, the things that the little canvases unfurled as a sailboat would have. And it's it's on these, almost looks like skis, these wooden ski type deals to let it maneuver on the ground. It just looked really cool. It was very creative. In any event, the people on the ship call out asking if they have food. And they realize uh, with the voice who's speaking back to them that it's Bo-Katan Kreese addressing them. And we find out that they are surviving Mandalorians that never left the planet even after the Great Purge. Uh, they pl- they end up getting on there the the ship they come together and they the survivors pledge that their blasters still remain in Bo-Katan's service and the scene cuts to dinner with these survivors. They tell Bo-Katan that this entire time they've been on the planet they refuse to surrender, but Bo-Katan tells them that she actually surrendered and this is the direct quote from her. She says, "That's not true. I did surrender. After our forces were annihilated in the night of a thousand tears." and defeat was imminent, I met with Moff Gideon. The ISB had reached out to me to negotiate a ceasefire. In exchange for submitting to the Empire and disarming, all remaining cities and Mandalorian lives were to be spared. That is how Moff Gideon came to possess a Darksaber. I didn't trust him, but it was the only chance I had to save our people. And then he betrayed me, and we were helpless to resist the Purge of Mandalore. At this point, one of the survivors asks how the others survived. The armor tells him that they were hidden on the moon of Concordia. And then another survivor asks if they were what's called Death Watch. And the armor tells him that Death Watch no longer exists and that it's shattered into many warring factions amongst each other. This is where Bo-Katan tells everyone that it's always themselves that destroy them. And basically, when they're together, no other outside enemy has ever defeated them. At this point, Din Djarin comes up to Bo-Katan after the dinner, and he tells her that he understands better now, and that they will rebuild together, and he basically says that he will serve her. But Bo-Katan tells him that she isn't confident that she can keep everyone together because there's too much animosity a bunch of these, uh, across these factions, you know, butting heads together already. And to kind of, you know, continue and build off that, the scene cuts to the armor attending to the survivors, and she tells Bo-Katan that they are too weak to continue and they've got to return to the gauntlet, and that she, herself, the armor, will ferry them back to the fleet in the morning. And they are, at this point, Bo-Katan is asking people where they think they could start looking for the Great Forge, and the captain of the survivors tells Bo-Katan that they can bring her directly to it. And this is kind of cool, and the scene shifts back to the captain on what, you know, again, I call the version of a sailboat, but uh, on land, and they're going to the Great Forge. And this is where Paz Vizsla and Axe Woves are arguing over the rules of what looked like Mandalorian's version of chess. I don't know what that was, but it was kind of cool. And they start arguing with those little rules, and Axe Woves makes a comment about how they make up their own you know, rules to everything, and Paz Vizsla gets annoyed, and they actually start physically fighting. 
And eventually, because Dinjarin said, oh, I can put a stop to him, Bo-Katan's like, no, don't, because then if you do that, all the other factions are going to get involved. we got to let this kind of play out. But the best of everything happens when Grogu, on ID-12, steps in and pushes them apart and starts hitting the no button, which actually really does de-escalate the situation. Kind of cool. Uh, the armor then takes the survivors back to the fleet. The scene shifts back to the land sailboat, and they approach the Great Forge. But before they get there, there's this giant-ass monster that bursts to the ground and attacks that sailboat ship. And the monster looked like some sort of dinosaur, that club tail. We've seen very similar things in, in old dino movies. Uh, but uh, what's really weird, and you know, maybe something we can talk about later on, is that this monster dinosaur thing really didn't do anything. Outside of destroying the ship, that was pretty much the end. And they didn't have to fight it. They didn't have to get around it. It just destroyed the ship. They went under the, like, the underground, and that was the last we saw of that dinosaur monster. So whatever. <laughs> they all abandon the ship. They get to the ground, and they get away from that dino monster, and they go the rest of the way on foot. And they get to what remains of the Great Forge. And, and as they are reminiscing over who has been there, who left, and who stayed, they're attacked by these Imperial Commando droids. And not the droids, but troopers, Imperial Commando troopers. And while under attack and firing at the enemies, they realize that these Imperial troopers are wearing Beskar armor. And this is kind of a full circle to where, if you remember a few episodes ago, actually, you know, not even a, a few episodes ago, last episode, there was the ship that was transporting Moff Gideon that it ended up getting broken into, and we saw that there was Beskar armor fragments in the wall of that ship. We can likely deduce that these are these you know new imperial commando troopers are where that beskar armor came from in that ship since they probably are the ones that rescued him so that's kind of cool so it wasn't the mandalorians it was these these new and improved imperial commando troopers but at this point there's a huge battle that goes on pretty cool to see very visually exciting and, and paz Vizsla lays down some heavy cover fire to allow axe wolves to escape through the split in the ceiling so that way he can go to the fleet and return with backup because they're just basically outnumbered and they got almost brought into a trap of sorts. They, they just kind of got fucking mollywopped. They're just under attack out of nowhere, surprise attack. And these things are giving the Mandalorians one hell of a fight. Eventually, the Mandalorians get the upper hand and the Imperials begin to retreat. But really what that was is a lure into a further trap. So the group of Mandalorians, they, they pursue the retreating Imperial Commando troopers and they end up getting to the spot where uh, they are separated from each other. They, they all some walls close down and you see that it's Din Djarin and three other Mandalorians against, I don't know, like 20 fucking <laughs> Imperial uh, Commando troopers. And then behind them there's that wall and it's where the rest of them are like Paz Vizsla, uh, Bo-Katan, they're, they're all in that one with like the majority of their forces. They can't get to the outside to help Din Djarin and the rest. And almost immediately, these Imperial Commando Troopers take down the other uh, Mandalorians around Din Djarin. So it's basically just Din Djarin versus like, 20 guys on his own. And you know he does the best he can. He takes a few out and eventually just like, succumbs underneath the numbers. And they get him to this point where it's just down to him and versus like eight. And they overtake him. They tie him up. Then we see there's this Imperial Commando Trooper in all black that comes down and lands in front of everything. And you hear a voice, and it commands the, the other troopers to disarm Din Djarin. Then the, the man in the black armor removes his helmet, and it's none other than Moff Gideon himself. Moff Gideon tells Din Djarin that he has taken over the planet and that with the planet's resources, he has created the next generation of Dark Troopers in the Dark Trooper suit utilizing Beskar alloy. And Moff Gideon tells Mando that he will create an army and bring order to the galaxy using things from 
a few different uh, you know people and, and, and tribes and, and things. He's mentioned clones specifically, Jedi specifically, and Mandalorians specifically. So, dude's got some uh, high aspirations. <laughs> In any event, Moff Gideon tells him to activate the interceptors, and uh, the, they use those numbers to take the Mandalorian fleet off the board. And directly from Moff Gideon, he says, "In but a few moments, the purge of Mandalore will be complete." And he orders the Imperial troopers to take Din Djarin to what he calls the briefing room. Then through the door, Bo-Katan yells at Moff Gideon and says, I should have killed you when I had the chance. And Moff Gideon replies, I believe this is the part where you return the Darksaber to its rightful owner. Now, surrender the Darksaber and tell these people that this planet is mine. And there's a little bit of a pause. And then Bo-Katan runs to the opposite side of the wall activates the dark saber and cuts a hole in that wall with it and they start to escape with Paz Vizsla providing cover fire as these other Imperial Commando troopers are coming in he's got his heavy artillery machine blaster and just laying down some cover so the other Mandalorians can escape and once they are all through Bo-Katan tells Paz Vizsla that they are clear and tells him to fall back and he looks at her and he tells her that there are too many of them and then he smashes a button, leaving himself alone against all maybe like 50 of these things just coming straight at him. And he, he it's like a sacrifice play to take out as many as possible. And he looks at, at her and he says, this is the way. And this motherfucker, Paz Vizsla, mows down a bunch of these, these Imperial Commando Troopers with his machine blaster until that blaster overheats. And you see it, it was like glowing red. It was a melting because he just was like, just taking these motherfuckers out. And what's crazy is he really did uh, take out basically all of these, Imper- all the ones in white anyways, these Imperial Commando Troopers, even to the point where when his blaster overheated and he had to throw it to the ground, he started taking them out by hand, started fucking them up like hand-to-hand combat. And uh, all of these troopers he eliminated by himself, and obviously he got hit and he was like injured and, and he was barely standing at the end, but then... Those three guards that were talked about in the very beginning, what Moff Gideon ordered, the, called the, the Praetorian Guards, they have this like cool menacing music that just kind of signifies death, and they come from around the corner, and you see them, they're in all this bright red looking fucking cool motherfucking guard badasses, and they've got these shock blaster things that... That it reminds me of a lightsaber, but with like lightning. I don't know. It was like static shocking stuff. In any event, uh, like it, it's three on one. It's these three Praetorian guards against Paz Vizsla, who just used all of his energy to fight off these things and did a hell of a job. And you know, it was just it was just a mollywop, and there was really no. He had nothing left in the tank to give him. So these fucking guards whooped his ass in, and you know, we always say. That no one's dead until you see the body. Well, we, we kind of saw the body, man. <laughs> like, those, things, those things like slashed him, stabbed him, jabbed him, fucking things in there until that dude was not moving on the ground. And you know he he made the ultimate sacrifice so the rest couldn't have an opportunity to survive and did his thing, man. All respect to Paz Vizsla, but you know he tries with all he had left in him. But those guys overpower him, stab him to where he's left on the ground, presumably dead. And that's where the episode ends so yeah that was kind of a a quick overview of of the summary of what we saw on screen i guess i'll ask you chase what were your takeaways on the episode was there anything else you wanted to add to it that you felt that i missed or how did how to go no you killed it man it was a badass episode it really was it definitely left off on that like cliffhanger there um takeaways i mean it flowed great it had awesome action i mean 
I would say this one and then the next one we'll talk about next week had probably the most action in the entire season. But it was it was awesome. Um, my only thing is, and I'll get into this later when we go through the debates, like I keep going back and forth whether like was it time to bring Moff Gideon back or not? Like was it time after all that in the seasons and you know, we had Jack Black and Lizzo here for the longest time. Like, I keep wondering, like, was this, like, the moment that sh- this should have happened? But it was cool, you know, how they got ambushed, and that's, like, who they walked into. So I, I thought it was great, man. Overall, I would probably give the episode uh, uh I'm very strict on, like, what grades I give. Um, so I'd probably give it a B plus. I'd give it a B plus. What about you? Well, on a grading thing, I'd probably give it an eight out of ten. It was it was pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Um, I my takeaways of the episode there was a lot that I really liked of it, and only a few things that I was a little bit on the um hmm does this really make sense sort of mindset. But you know, compared to the other episodes that we saw in the season, you know, it's not like they were flipping back and forth from different things that made no sense. And this is exactly a little bit what I was talking about. Even though it started. On Coruscant with Elia Kane, and you know how we, you know a few episodes back we were complaining about how they made these transitions that just didn't really flow seamlessly, and it was just so weird. Mm-hmm. We're we're with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin, and they're they're fighting all these Tie Fighters, and out of nowhere when they blast off into hyperspace, we're at Coruscant with the Doctor, and he's giving like a speech at the summit, and then they, they we we followed that along for a while, and then out of nowhere it goes back to Bo-Katan and Din Djarin going to the covert on the plane. We're like, where the hell are these transitions coming from? And but this episode did a fantastic job of starting there on Coruscant. She's talking to Moff Gideon, giving him the report, and then it, it seamlessly moves from that part to where Moff Gideon's in his stronghold, going to the Shadow Council, and then going from there. That was the best way to get to transition from the old place where they were at, from Elliot Kane, to where he's at. It made sense, you know what I mean? And they slowly yeah. phase that out. We don't really go back to Coruscant in this episode. So, you know, that, made, that, was, that was a good transition. I just don't know what they were doing with that one episode out of nowhere. So those are some improvements that I really appreciated from stuff that we had problems with earlier in, in this season. On top of that, too, like, we can, we can talk about that later on in terms of takeaways, but I, I like the pacing of, of the episode. And... It, the one thing I will say, I don't much have a problem with how early they brought Moff Gideon back in, but I do kind of, I am kind of concerned of how we just brought all the Mandalorians together, the factions together, the, the you know the Night Owls and the Children of the Watch, and made them cohesively mesh so soon. I, I think there should have been some animosity, some things that some trials that had to overcome together before they were like, okay, we're we're bonded again. We're we are the Mandalorians. I, I didn't. I don't feel as if we had that. I mean, we had that little game of chess, and they were fighting, and, and Grogu separates it. But you know, I don't think that with with how much animosity they've had towards each other, and how much Bo-Katan was concerned about not being able to you know get them all together because of, of all the differences they've had. I feel like we should have had a more build up to when they come together cohesively versus just we're now we're all we're all happy and fighting on alongside each other we're brothers again in arms i don't know it seems like that part was a little bit rushed to me not necessarily the reintroduction of moff gideon so that was you know one of my takeaways of that is man we probably could have we could have played that out a little bit better 
made it so we're not really sure as audience members and people who are fans and watching the show, hey, man, are these Mandalorians ever going to come together? Are they ever going to be on the same side? I really feel we should have had that build up and have those like questions that kind of creep into our head. But basically, in the same episode, they landed on Navarro. They had that whole standoff. They took their helmets off. It obviously annoyed the, the uh, original you know, Children of the Watch Mandalorians. And from there, they go to the, their home planet, and they have this chess match, and they start fighting. Grogu separates, and then all of a sudden, they're good. Like, I don't know, man. It just I think All in that same episode, that's where all the differences were squashed and where we're, we're all together again. That, that did bother me a little bit. So, you know, that, that was my biggest issue with this episode specifically on that outside of that though i do love how they pulled everything back from the beginning of the episode for the full circle moments of all the things that moff getting requested from commandant hux right we got the tie fighters the bombers the praetorian guards and all those things came full circle at the end of this episode like oh shoot now we know why he wanted those things moff gideon had this whole plan like the entire time it was great you know he, he's a very smart sharp guy very intellectual and and had an idea of how he was going to take them out and was very you know obviously at the end of this episode we don't know how it's going to end but he's so far his plan's going as planned you know uh there's just a few hiccups here and there and we'll see how it plays out next week obviously but you know as far as it goes this is this episode is the oh the the oh shit episode like dang one of the major yeah. Mandalorians died like he has Vizsla like are, are they gonna get out are they gonna escape they're under they they got these three guards that look invincible these three red guards uh that all these Imperial Commando troopers have Beskar armor so they're essentially on par with the Mandalorians outside of maybe fighting skill but their armor is at least the same so it's gonna be a lot harder to take these out and there's just they're, they're outnumbered the you know the Mandalorians are outnumbered by these things so we're just we're in this moment. I wouldn't quite say it's to the extent of Infinity War, you know, where they lost half of their forces or anything, but <laughs> it's definitely along those. So this is that episode that is like, shit, are, what, like, are we good here or are we, are we fucked, you know? Uh, and that, I love how it kind of left off with, with you know, you just see Paz was his body on the ground after he, he sacrificed himself to make sure everyone else had a chance. So. I, I liked the episode overall as a whole. Some things I really liked. Some things I'm like, eh, probably could have done a little better. But like I, like I said, in terms of, of a grading, I'd give an 8 out of 10. Yeah, it was, it was a great episode. Um, my, uh, Do you want to go into the debates or anything else you want to talk about before that? Yeah, no, I was just kind of curious on you know everything we just kind of went over, what your thoughts were on... on some of the things that you liked versus didn't like, you know, how I mentioned, I thought that the Mandalorians were brought together a little too soon. Like, was there anything else that you noticed in there that, that you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, this should have been tweaked. This should have been this, you know, anything that you, that kind of stuck out to you. Uh, I mean, going into what I, I did enjoy was just like you were saying, like the transitions were great. Like it, it really did have kind of that, Oh shit, shocking moment, especially when Gideon showed up there and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, wow like we've really like walked into a trap <laughs> like that's literally what happened um i didn't have like any major problems really i did kind of like i i just felt here's my honest opinion i feel like it's kind of like they started off slow through the season and then all of a sudden they're trying to like rush through it is what it's kind of giving me that vibe like with how the creeds are now like all meshed together and how we were talking about before on this show, like all of a sudden everyone's just gonna, 
decide like take their helmets off is fine and everyone gets along now and everyone's one big team like i don't know i'm okay with it because there's bigger issues i can ever like there's other shows that have bigger issues <laughs> than i can like just pick something out and like go hard on it and be like hey this is bullshit i can get over it like i'm not i'm not that big onto it but i kind of like just wonder kind of what their direction is and now that they even brought up emperor thrawn in passing so it kind of just makes me well, wonder it, it's the only gra- issue i have it's grand admiral thrawn he's not an emperor grand admiral yeah. thrawn sorry. he's like a emperor military guy palpatine yeah, yeah gotcha. sorry <laughs> uh yeah so palpatine was emperor yeah but uh thrawn but so it kind of just makes me wonder if they're trying to rush to get to an end goal or if this really was kind of like the plan i still have an issue with and maybe they'll play a bigger role in the future but like the doctor and what was her name the girl that worked for gideon elia kane yeah elian so i still kind of my issue is is i wonder if they were actually necessary like, could you have maybe, like, transitioned that in a different way versus having a whole episode about that? Unless, like, the clones really are going to play that big of a role here. Which, yeah, we have saw some things about how they've, you know, things have happened. But, for instance, like, if you really were trying to speed it up, you could have cut that whole fucking episode out. They walked in, they saw some clones that Moff Gideon was using in some tubes... And then some other worker that happened to come in contact with them earlier in past seasons walks up to Moff Gideon and is like, hey, these people are here. You just cut out that whole fucking episode. Like, so I'm sitting here, like, wondering, like, are they going to play a larger role in the future? Or did we really just have that 55-minute fucking episode for really what was, like, supposed to be, like, a 15-minute scene so i don't know it's just really nitpicky things honestly overall i thought it was a great episode but that's kind of some of my questions to you what are your thoughts on that my biggest response to everything is the, to the, the last point that you made about the episode where we've got the doctor and elliot kane and and why that was necessary is i i definitely think that the clones are going to play that big of a role but the one thing we don't know is how many seasons of the Mandalorian show they're planning on having. So if they're only planning on having like five seasons, you know, we've got to kind of move along, especially when there's only eight episodes per season. But I will say that I think the cloning is a big aspect of it. And I'll talk more about it next week. Well, I'm sure you'll talk more about it next week when we see other things that come up in that in that sort of vein. But if you remember in the beginning part of the episode... I, Moff Gideon almost tried to brush it underneath the rug in the Shadow Council so no one really paid attention to it but I, I believe that he's trying to keep this thing secret from everyone else and this is like his own uh, his own plan that he's hatching utilizing the Doctor Cause obviously the New Republic didn't capture Dr. Pershing Elliot Kane set him up so he would be captured by the New Republic it wasn't, it wasn't like they got him by chance it was, it was a very intentional very intentional thing so my thought is is that they're going to utilize this doctor going forward after this doctor probably is going to have a bad taste in his mouth the new republic after he got his brain fried and i remember the, the new republic told him hey it's not gonna hurt you're gonna feel a sensation but this is just to kind of reprogram it. and then when everyone left the room elliot kane cranked that shit all the way up so in the doctor's mind it was the New Republic that, that did that shit to him, basically lied to him. So I think they're just kind of turning him against the New Republic and you're going to be utilizing him to 
get back to his research and and really kind of push these clones going forward and and you know, there's another big aspect of this I'll talk about next week when we get kind of towards the end of next week's episode talking about these questions and these debates and stuff there's uh there's something that you know we always say here and I think that's going to come in, into play later on and so I just think I do think the cloning is going to be that important I think that's the entire outside of the Mandalorians retaking their home planet and becoming a civilization that governs themselves once again I think the biggest part of this show is the cloning because I believe that this is where at the very end of the Mandalorian series however many seasons it goes I think we're going to get to the part where uh, the new order or the first order whatever it's called I think it's the first order where the first order starts coming into play and I think a lot of that is going to be the what we're going to see here is the origins of you know what they were able to finally accomplish with the cloning which would probably lead us to deduce that the main big bad guy of the, well, I guess in the first two movies of the sequels, <laughs> uh, you know, that got all, you know, we don't need to rehash that. But, you know, I think I think it's going to come, a lot of things are going to come full circle later on. So I do think that cloning is going to be a huge aspect of this show, and that's probably why we needed that episode. And we'll probably get more of that going forward in this, in this series. So I, I just, I, that, that's my answer to that. Uh, as far as everything else, you know, you kind of like just reiterated some of the things that I said with the Mandalorians, them meshing together out of nowhere. And, you know, the, the pacing of this season seems to be interesting. This specific episode wasn't bad uh, outside of that. Um, but, you know, those are just kind of like my, my thoughts on that end. And you know, that being said, unless you have anything to add to that, I'd say we kind of kick it into the debate aspect. Let's do it, man. Cool. I'll have you start us off, brother. What are, the, what are the debates you got for me today? Uh, my big debate for today is since Grand Master, is that what you said? Grandmaster Thrawn? Grand you Admiral Thrawn. Grand Admiral. Now, Grand Master would be sick. I guess that's like Grand Master Yoda. <laughs> Anyways, Grand Admiral Thrawn. What role do you think he's going to play in the future? And do you think he's going to play more of a villain type role how moff gideon has uh do you think that there is a possibility that uh for instance just in, a, in this is kind of out of left here field here for this part two um but they have mentioned him in passing that he might be mentioned in the ahsoka series do you think that the mandalorian series they're going to try to do this like marvel and try to tie it into some of these other Star Wars series. And what role do you think uh, Thrawn is going to play in The Mandalorian specifically? I'm going to answer those questions in reverse. I'm going to answer, like, the. I do absolutely think they're going to do a Marvel-esque thing where they're going to tie a bunch of these series together. And it makes sense because uh, it, if anyone's watched the, the Clone Wars, which is the animated series uh, that they, they had out, you see Grand Admiral Thrawn and you see Ahsoka, so that they're definitely adversaries. And uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin that for anyone to so go watch it if you haven't. But in any event, uh, I do think that they're going to end up tying a lot of these together. Maybe not cohesively, but I think there's going to be little like winks and Easter eggs that lead back and forth from each other because Ahsoka initially came up in The Mandalorian. You know, she was in right. season two of The Mandalorian, and um, you know she's going to have her own series now coming up in september i believe it is and so 
yeah, I, I, and obviously we've seen, not that we're going to cover this, this show or, or not, but the Boba Fett series that they had, it was basically, it had a bunch of The Mandalorian in it, <laughs> you know? It was basically right. The Mandalorian yeah. featuring Boba Fett, <laughs> you know? I'd, it was just, it was wild. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they're going to be in and out of making appearances in each other's series and stuff. Uh, I just don't know to what extent and, you know, how reoccurring it'll be. But I absolutely believe that it, it's going to have that Marvel effect of, hey, these are all going to coincide and, and the general storyline is going to lead somewhere, which will probably be into the, the inception of where the, the sequels begin at, at the end of everything, right? Uh, so that, that's my answer on that one. In terms of the role I think that Grand Admiral Thrawn is going to play, I think it really depends on... Uh, man, I, I can't say this this week. I can say it next week but it really depends on the outcome of is there is there a certain somebody still around somehow some way so that that is <laughs> the right. best i can say right now you know given the episode that we're covering but mm-hmm. i i can absolutely see grand admiral thrawn and keep in mind he's a military commander so he's uh, you know he may not be the most intelligent or whatever. Like he's not the, he's not a genius at some level of these supervillains are, but he's going to be one hard motherfucker to take down when it comes to like combat because he's a badass and you know, uh, I won't give anything away on that end if you haven't seen the Clone Wars. I will say this though, that he has the potential to be the next big bad villain if that's the direction that the series goes. He will be the main bad guy if they, the you know the events last week actually you know happen the way that it looks like on screen i'll say that uh so yeah he has the absolute potential to be the next big bad guy that we've got to overcome and that's not going to be an easy task for anybody and you know that's again to your point this is probably going to take a few different types of of uh in and outs between these series to take this guy down because you know i'm i'm gonna assume you know i don't want to I, I, this is just out of my own. Like, I, don't, I have no inside knowledge on this, but I'm going to assume that Ahsoka is going to need to be involved. Some of the Mandalorians are going to need to be involved. Like it's going to take, you know, if they say it takes a village. It's going to take a village to to get rid, <laughs> get rid of this motherfucker. So I, that's that's what I think on that end uh, for, you know, just answering those questions on what role I think Grand Admiral Thrawn is going to play. Well, actually, you know, that, that's just me saying what he could be. You know, what I think he's going to be is. If he's not the top villain that you've got to overcome, he's going to be the second in command at a very, very high level. So that it, it's still no matter what, you know, if you want to, man, it, 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 I don't want to say it like this, drawing drawing comparisons. But if I were to draw some level of comparison, maybe you could think of how Ronan it was like Thanos's right hand in a way, and he's kind of a beast in his own right. So it just depends on what what route that this series wants to go. You know, do we keep a certain somebody around? Do we move on from that and you know think that what we saw is what happened? It just depends on what direction the series wants to go. But I, he could be the next guy, or he could be the uh, you know high second in command. That, that's those are like my two quote unquote predictions of, of what I think. So give me your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think he I think he very well could be the guy. And uh, the reason I think that not giving anything away for next week, but when you think about the Mandalorian creeds, if you're talking about someone like say you had 
you know, like Palpatine or Snoke or someone like that in the main Star Wars series, right? Like, I feel like they just don't have the force to go against someone like that. Like, that would take, like, an army of Jedi or something like that. Like, someone, something that's really almost, like, has that supernatural element, which I do think that's where it will, to answer kind of like how you did the second part of that first, I think that's where they are going to have, in a way, start to try to make this more like Marvel, where a series crosses over. Like, maybe you get Ahsoka that comes back at some point, and she is, like, that powerful Jedi that can bring that force to try to help them out. But especially starting out, I think he will be that guy because he's already kind of been mentioned in passing, but he'll be brought up slow. And just kind of, like you said, like, maybe a second-in-command and then, you know, keeps growing his army. But the creeds like that's really what they thrive at going up against like it'd be a tough ass task but when you think about how they're mercenaries and most of them were like bounty hunters you know that's kind of like a realistic military combat with like two armies like it would take a lot of strategy almost playing like chess against each each other versus just like swinging going blow for blow or lightsaber to lightsaber you know so i think he very well could be and i think it could actually take a very dark turn which uh, i think would be really cool really an interesting take on things it just depends on how dark they would want to go with it being disney <laughs> but um yeah just just a thought i think he very well could be kind of the next big villain of the next season's ford but then again, who knows how long they want to drag it out, right? I mean, if I mean, you would really have to make some big jumps if you're doing like five seasons. But I mean, maybe they do five seasons and then it's like Marvel and the Mandalorian's over. But really, Dinjarin and Grogu are just in the Ahsoka series. So <laughs> who really knows? But uh, yeah, what debates did you have for the day? Well, also, I did. I want you to, like to comment on what you think about Grand Admiral Thrawn's specific character going forward, and what role you think he's going to play. You, you kind of agree with my my assessment there? Or do you have some other thoughts on it? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with your assessment. Like, I think, I think really right now though, they kind of see him. Uh, I mean, I think he'll grow in the future, but I do think they already kind of see him as a prominent role. Like, he's not someone just to be overlooked. I don't know if he's that big of a threat. But I think he'll kind of, I want to say, from like an intellectual perspective, maybe they see him as someone as just like a more political government authority and then something goes bad and uh, then he could be the person that maybe like turns the whole galaxy on the creed or something like that that plays more of a political role. Look at the doctor and how he was kind of talking to like those people on that planet. I mean, it could be more of a political military role there, is my opinion. I don't think it, he's going to play a, a political role. I think he's just going to be a, a fucking army general type mowing people down badass. You know, that's what I really think because, you know, obviously he like his title is Grand Admiral Thrawn and he is mil- he, like his background is military and on top of that, 
that no one knows him, no one sees him as anything because he's, he's a secret. That's exactly the issue that Moff Gideon had with uh, Captain Paleon in the Shadow Council. It's like, well, dude, you keep talking about this Grand Admiral Thrawn. When's he going to show up and join this council? When's he going to appear? Like, and he's like, well, it all everything depends on his secrecy. So it's like no one really knows about him. So they don't really, I don't think anyone has an opinion or they don't see him as anything because no one really, he's just, he's just the shadow, the secret, this name that is, you know, I don't, I don't know another, like, individual that's like that but it, it's one of those things where it's almost like the boogeyman in a way you don't really know who it is and <laughs> you just you hear this name and it draws like a little bit of fear and, and concern but we don't know who this dude is yet and i think that you know i, I think he's going to come in with a force bro i think he's going to come in and he's just going to be just a he's going to be a hard dude to take down i think it's going to be real real tough for everyone you know uh, once you once everyone sees this guy and it's kind of cool too if you guys want to i don't think this is going to ruin anything but take a look at what grand animal thong looks like in the clone wars yeah he's he's yeah. gonna be tough man he's gonna he's gonna that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a hard out that's gonna be a hard out for anyone to to get him there so yeah that that's my thought and i don't i don't see the the politics side i don't think he's gonna be like this chancellor palpatine where he gets the whole you know country or worlds and planets on his side and then screws him over i i think it's more of a you know we think everything's going well and all of a sudden this dude comes in and just fuck shit up like that's what I, that's what i think I is gonna happen that's that's my opinion on it just out of nowhere just starts fucking mowing people down but uh in terms of my debate for today and what questions i have on it and just kind of bouncing some ideas back and forth like when do you think moff gideon started using the mandalore planet as his home base and and how did no one really realize this, especially with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin going to Mandalore first to get him to the Living Waters so that way he could be redeemed? That you know, There was just no sign of it? Was it something that you think that he did after that excursion? Or is, was, the, so, was the Great Forge so far away from all of that? But, you know, then that doesn't really make sense either because I don't want to give anything away. But at the end of next week, we see, we see something about the Great Forge and what it's close to. You know, so it's like... Well, how did how did they not know that this that Moff Gideon held a base there, or was it that Moff Gideon held like just just got there, you know, not too long ago? I I, I guess I don't really know. Uh, that's my those are my biggest questions: is when Moff Gideon used their planet as the base, and then the second part, like how did, were they not found, and how did they not have any idea when they went down to redeem? Din Djarin after he took his helmet off and needed to be redeemed, which also brings up another question of like, how the fuck did he need to be redeemed and all these other guys? I know like the armorer said, all right, well we're gonna all come together as factions, but they basically, you know, what do you call it? banished Din Djarin for taking his helmet off. Now all these other fucking Mandalorians are just walking around with their helmet off, and she's like, yeah, we're all together now. But Din Djarin got the shaft on that. He had to go to a, a potentially poisonous <laughs> planet to to get redeemed, and they just accepted everyone else at the word of the armorer. So. I don't really want to bring that up. That's not part of the debate. I just think it's something funny to, to think about is that, dude, this guy who's just been working so hard just gets the fucking shaft time and time again. Uh, you know, everyone else gets a free pass. All so these, like, helmets getting taken off, and they're like, nah, man, you're, you're an apostate. You can't come back here. But all you other, all you other Mandalorians, though, that take off your helmet, you're fine. But Din Djarin, you're not fine. You got to go, you got to go get redeemed, brother. And so, in any event, no, I guess my, my biggest questions are, you know, what the hell? Uh, you know, why did they not know, or how did they not see anything of Moff Gideon having a base there? And on top of that, uh, how long do you think he's been holding his base there on the planet Mandalore? 
Yeah, that's uh, so. I basically, uh, and first, I kind of actually want to that first debate we were having. I want to kind of ask you a question about it to kind of in that debate there, and then I'm going to go into this one, answering it with two different answers. So it's kind of like a little bit of a three-parter here. So this might be a little long-winded, but I'll go in pieces so everyone can follow along. So, and then the question I have about Thrawn, first going back to that real quick, is to kind of rebuttal against your thoughts of him being just like a damn force, like a military force. I could absolutely see that. I just wonder like how he's gonna play a threat or like how he doesn't get along with the creeds. Cause with him being a military badass anyways, the only idea I would have of him being a problem would be maybe he doesn't agree with like their bounty and customs and shit and the way they do things that way. But like, how have they like pissed him off? Like, I would see more of maybe, you know, more of like the Jedi and shit like pissing him off with the Rebel Alliance versus you see, you know, the creeds. They're not exactly like. Here's my thing. Like, Dinjarin, we see him as a good guy because he has like Grogu and stuff. And uh, of course, like Bo Katan, we see them as the good guys, right? But looking from an outside overall perspective, the Star Wars Galaxy universe doesn't exactly look at them as good guys. They're kind of just like there. Like back in the day, you look at like season one of The Mandalorian, you know, Din Djarin was taking people in on bounties and saying, I can bring you in warm or bring you in cold. He truly didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, it's not like they're exactly nice people is what I would say. So I don't really understand how they would maybe play a threat to him. So that's how I'd feel like he would probably have to move kind of up the ranks. Can you respond to that? And then I'll answer your question there with that kind of two-part answer. For sure. So I think it best, this one has a pretty simple answer. It's just the fact that I don't think the Mandalorian specifically is going to be something that Grand Animal Thrawn is just mad at and wants to take out. I just think that he wants the Empire to take back over. And part of that is going to have to be defeating these Mandalorian who seem to be working alongside the New Republic in certain ways. And we're going to see that a little bit more next week, too. But, you know, every time it's come up against, like, Imperial or New Republic, it seems like the Mandalorians have taken the New Republic side. They want to get rid of the Empire in a way because, you know, the Moff Gideon and what the Imperials did to their home planet, it's almost their, like, way of revenge and, like, you know, driving these people out so that way there's no problem going forward. And it's, like, starting over and starting fresh. So I don't necessarily think that the Mandalorians specifically are going to be something that Grand Admiral Thrawn wants to eliminate because of who they are themselves. It's going to be more of a Grand Admiral Thrawn wants the Empire to rise to power again, and they're going to be an obstacle to overcome to get to that main goal of having the Empire in power again, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could. Uh, that makes sense. I could see that. Um, so then for your debate you had here about, like, how did they not know, like, this is where he put his base... I think part of it's a little bit of a plot hole, but I guess like maybe Moff Gideon's like super secret about shit because when they went there in that episode, there was nothing there. Like there was like fucking nothing there. You're running into cave trolls and shit. Being realistic, if Moff Gideon making that his base, you know the minute he ran into a cave troll, he's just gonna cut their fucking heads off. Like, get the fuck out of my way. Like, I don't have time to deal with it. So I don't think there would be any cave trolls. I mean, I guess, like, in the mines. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be generous here and give them benefit of the doubt and just say 
maybe he made it on like a different side of the planet it was like super secret and he thought and that was very genius uh idea because it was kind of the reverse psychology because it's like wow if they don't think their planet's inhabitable i keep spreading this rumor and make my base there that's kind of my thoughts on that but at the same time i do honestly think it's sort of part of a plot hole and bringing up plot holes in transitioning where transitioning makes sense this is the transition that makes sense i think it's also part of a plot hole that you know, Din Djarin had to go fucking bathe there, and then all of a sudden, Bo-Katan, like, they just decide, like, the armorer just decides, you know, she's she's the way <laughs> that she can take her fucking helmet off. So now you have all these different people taking their helmets off. I think they really fucked up with the helmet off thing. I think, like, in season two, when he took it off for Grogu, like, it was, like, that moment. But then it just like spiraled out of control. Like everyone can take their fucking helmet off now. Like everyone's doing the no hats dance, the no <laughs> no helmet dance now. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe next season, you know, everyone can take their pants off and then they'll do the no pants dance. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me, <laughs> but I'm gonna roll with it because I'm just looking at this as like this is a show for everyone to enjoy and it had some badass moments it's not necessarily as in-depth as like game of thrones or like the witcher is with politics and shit so maybe they just decided like hey like i think it'd be cooler if like no one wore helmets anymore is get the jamie lannister suave hair going i i have no fucking idea man i thought it was stupid now it's a waste of a fucking episode really because on top of that if you really want to get fucking into this like they had that whole episode and then you saw the mythosaur there and we haven't heard shit about it since <laughs> we haven't heard shit about it since so my response to that little end thing that little uh, side piece of your debate there is I think it's clearly a plot hole but to answer your direct question or on how did they not know his base was there I think it was accepting it as it is that it's probably a plot hole I'm assuming that the reverse psychology of this rumor that was spread that the planet was uninhabitable maybe because it is such a big planet he made a base somewhere where no one really could see it because it's such a large planet and they only wanted to go so far like into the mines because they assumed it was uninhabitable so he didn't go to the mines and kill the cave trolls because he didn't feel like dealing with it so i that's my answer to that man that's the only answer i have because i thought it was fucking dumb yeah i guess the the biggest question we need answered as people who watch the show is how long does time pass per each episode because you know, when he went to the Living Waters and was redeemed, when you know, him and Bo-Katan went there, I think it was episode two of season three. And so we've had five episodes since. And we just, I don't know how long the time passes. And, you know, if it's a few years, it's a possibility that Moff Gideon could have came and, and, and built his base after Din Djarin and Bo-Katan went and, and did that whole thing. But if it's a couple months or a couple weeks... That doesn't really make a lot of sense of how Moff Gideon was able to get there. I think it, that all depends on how long Moff Gideon was building that base there. And on the other part, the the thing that you said that it could be on the other side of the planet, that's my initial thought too, except not to give any spoilers away, but for next week, we see there's a, something gets lit right in front of Living Waters, and that kind of 
almost contradicts, um, you know, because they were looking for something called the Great Forge in this episode, and the survivors of the the ones that stuck on the planet, <laughs> like they knew where this Great Forge was. But then at the end of next week's episode, we're going to talk about we see. The living waters are here, and there's something else that gets, you know, I'm just talking about that gets, like, lit up, and they're right there. Like, they're next to each other, so they're next to each other. Are they really on the opposite side of the planet? And if they're not on the opposite side of the planet, how the fuck did you not know his fucking base is right there? Like, there's just, there's a few things that I, I had some questions on, that's exactly why I want to bring it up in debate, because, like, you know, it could potentially be a plot hole. Maybe there's a simple answer, and... You know, we're overlooking at it and we're not, you know, maybe we're overthinking this and that is what it is. But these are just thoughts and, and questions that come to me is just, you know, when was Moff, when did Moff Gideon start this base here and where on this planet is this base? Because, you know, it, it seemed when they, they were looking for the Great Forge and when they started going towards it, that's when they got ambushed by these Imperial Commando troopers. And that, and then they start going through that whole thing of them retreating, and then they run and, and go after them and get lured into this trap. And that's where they see this whole damn base. You got the Tie Fighters there. You know, you see all this thing. They, they even Bokan is like, "What is this? This isn't here before, or whatever." So I guess it just really depends on how long uh, the time passes and how fast time passes between episodes in the Mandalorian. So, like I said, if you know five episodes is equivalent to three years, two years, you know, a little over a year, sure, I could see how that works and how, you know, you could build that in secrecy since, you know, they, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan had been to the Living Waters and they left and the, that base wasn't there yet. And then after that, he gets there and that's when they start building base. Who knows? You know, if that's the case, fine. You know, but uh, I, don't, I just don't necessarily think that that much time passes between episodes. You know, if it's weeks and months, it doesn't make any sense at all, uh, especially if you're going to put, you know, something near the living waters after we already saw where the living waters were in episode two and if you know we know where the living waters were in episode two why wasn't the this forge thing found uh, in episode two and how did they not know where it was <laughs> and how you know what i mean and and how do they know yeah. like uh where like they should have known where it was the first time if they knew where the living waters were because we see at the end of next week's episode living waters and uh you know, there's there's some the location of it's curious. So I'll say I'll say that, man. It's just it's one of those things where, you know, it could be answered based on the timeline, or it could be kind of a plot hole, or it could just be overthinking the shit. Yeah, you know, one of the three. One of the three. Can I say something uh, in response to that? Like, what I'll say is talking about real full circle moments. Like, this is the fucking problem I have with like. I mean, the pacing was fine with this, but. If we're talking about this season overall, like, I don't hate this season by any means. And there's definitely worse shows I've seen. But, like, this is what I'm fucking talking about, man. Like, now you just wasted a whole fucking episode going to the Living Waters for what fucking reason? Like, I mean, I think there is a reason. And they're going to probably bring that up another time from now. Much later from now. (laughs) But, like, dude, like, save that for another fucking time. Like, dude, like, this is my fucking problem is... Like, it's almost like they're trying to speed up, but then they want, they're they're so encouraged or excited to get something out in regards to these things that they just do it and then it's left fucking unanswered. Like, that's my fucking problem, dude. Like, pick a fucking direction, man. And I, I think that's my only issue with this season. Like, overall the direction they're going 
I am very interested in the direction and I'm very intrigued. And if you look from like, hey, this is just a fun season, like it, it's fine. Like it, it's good. Like there's nothing I can really be like, wow, that fucking sucked. <laughs> but at the same time, like there's problems like this and I can't just let them go unnoticed. Like we just waste, you're telling me whatever that was, episode two, I think it was episode two, like when he bathed in the waters, episode two or three. Yeah, I think I it was two. One. Two. We wasted 45 fucking minutes <laughs> watching him bathe in the waters for something that we discussed. Probably literally like a 30 second clip. Save that shit <laughs> for later fucking on because otherwise we just wasted all this fucking time because you know why we wasted this time because two episodes later the armor that's given this almighty power by i don't know who the fuck knows because we wasted a whole fucking first season explaining how all these people are different creeds and go by their own rules all of a sudden we're just gonna do what the fuck we want now <laughs> so like it makes no sense dude this is bullshit i thought it was absolute bullshit and that's why overall like i give the episode a B. I'm usually very generous, even though I contradict myself. I said I'm, you know, strictly for grades. I try to be strict on it, but at the same time, I give. Gen I'm generous when I would like to be generous. I cannot let this shit slide. Absolute bullshit. Absolute bullshit. You wasted my time. <laughs> you wasted my time. Uh, I, I I just don't even know what to say. Like, save that shit for another time. Cut the fucking doctor episode out and have some random ass person be there for five seconds explaining the clones. Cut that whole fucking Mandalorian home shit out. And then we would be exactly where we are. And the season got cut down from, what is it, eight episodes? Cut down from eight episodes to four. You just sped up your timeline. <laughs> That's exactly how you do that. Back to you, man. Any Anything else? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the way we need to go. I don't think that's the way we need to go at all. <laughs> I definitely like Chase you. You definitely have a real big problem with that doctor episode. Like uh, was episode three or whatever. <laughs> you have a big problem with that. Where for me, like I actually think it was important. Maybe they could have utilized that episode later on. But like to me, it's definitely gonna like, signify a level of importance because they need this doctor on their side. Talking about the like Moff Gideon and Elliot Kane and the Empire, they need the doctor on their side. And the doctor definitely showed that he was remorseful and didn't want to work for the empire didn't realize what he was doing really didn't realize how negatively affecting other people and now I, I just think that his his research is going to become paramount so we definitely needed the episode could we argue that we could have saved that episode for another season and maybe you know built built off of that and made it its own side thing to where instead of just throwing it randomly in a, an episode in this season sure we can argue that but i don't think we cut it out altogether. Uh, yeah, but then the whole, this whole, the one thing I will agree with you is this whole apostate thing with Din Djarin of making this guy banished from his covert and going to this living water stuff and having to bathe in it and going through all these perils. Almost died trying to do it because he got captured by that spider <laughs> robot thing. And then, like you said, two episodes later, Armour's just like, hey, some people want helmets off. Take the helmets off, baby. Let's go. <laughs> like, you know, like that, that part is super annoying. Don't, I don't like that at all. Uh, but yeah, but you know, to, to circle back to the debate aspect of everything we're talking about, I just I do think that you this debate could be answered if we had an idea of the timeline and how fast time passes in between these episodes, or you know, if uh, 
we got to see maybe things were in different locations. So I think that that, that kind of closes out that debate on that end. But those are my, my thoughts on that. I definitely think we needed the doctor episode. I definitely think that the apostate thing and banishing one of your like top level Mandalorians was stupid as fuck, especially if you're not going to build anything off it. And then <laughs> basically, you know, contradict yourself two episodes later where, you know, I get it. All the Mandalorians need to come together. But to do it in the same season, to do it so close together, that seemed like a waste. You know, if you're going to do that, make it another season or two before you're like, fuck, we've got no other option but to get these factions together. And so I guess if we got to allow these people to keep their helmets off, we'll allow them to keep their helmets off. But to do it two episodes later, been like, all right, let's do this, baby. Like, it, it, I agree on that, and it does seem rushed, um, you know, unnecessarily so. You know, Mandalor- The Mandalorian is probably the top new show on disney plus period it's probably the highest viewed show on disney plus so it's not like they're running out of budget or they're scared that this show is going to be canceled so why why are we rushing it why don't we take our time through it and i think that's kind of almost a, a reoccurring thing with some of the you know with new films and series that disney's coming out with to the point where i believe uh, i don't want to misspeak on this but i'm pretty sure that the, the CEO of Disney came out and said they're going to start halting new Marvel and Star Wars productions because it you know the, the, the reception of them has been so mixed. I, I think essentially because mm-hmm. it's they're just trying to throw so many things out at us, uh, you know, not really taking their time through it, you know. So that those are my thoughts on that. I don't know if you have anything else to say to, to those effects before we close out, but I'll give you the floor. Yeah, just last thought before we close, I want to ask you a question. Thinking about that episode where he bathed in the waters, was that whole episode really made for the cyber spider just so then Bo-Katan can get the dark saber and it was passed along? Like, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe they actually came up with that bullshit just to run into the cyber spider, which then we're like, why the fuck did you choose that to be the way (laughs) she got that thing? You might be on to something, but I think you're thinking of the wrong thing. Because, obviously, we see what happens in terms of the Darksaber next week, right? So, like, really, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't really do a whole lot for us. So, I don't think... But you might bring up a good point of, you know, the whole point of the episode maybe was to introduce us to the Mythosaur. That might be mm-hmm. what the whole point was. I don't necessarily think it's a Darksaber. I think the whole point of that maybe to introduce us to the Mythosaur and let us know that that mythical creature still exists and that could come into play later on. That might be, I mean, you, we might be thinking about it wrong and that might be the reason you know, that, that episode was necessary. Mm-hmm. So that would kind of make more sense to me than the Darksaber is that we needed to have an idea that this mythical creature still exists and could come into play later on um, when needed. So, Yeah. Cool, man. No, this has been a... Uh, we just keep on trucking next week. We're at the top of the mountain. Uh, we got uh, two, you know, two more episodes here on this Mandalorian arc. So I'll let you close this out, brother. Yeah, good point. Obviously, next week we close out with what we see on screen. Then we're going to do one of our patented, very fun rankings episode that we always enjoy doing to close out the Mandalorian before we move on to something new. So really excited. I'm glad that we were able to tackle this here today. Folks, if this is your very first time listening to us, we hope you enjoyed what you heard. Hope you stick around. And for those who have been here since day one, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. If you're looking to where you can follow us along 
on a few different social platforms. We're everywhere. We, you know, we're on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We're on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. Backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have a Facebook fan page, which is called Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We've got our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We're on YouTube at Ridiculous Patronus. So please follow along, click like, subscribe, leave comments. Any sort of engagement you leave us, it really helps out a lot. And we enjoy and we enjoy engaging with you guys. Uh, in terms of where you can listen to the podcast, we are everywhere that you get your podcast. So that includes if you're an Apple user, Apple Podcasts, if you're an Android user, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Acast, our host site, Podbean. Like I said, wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.